Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much. I, I have to say what a humbling honor it is to be here in this great church. And thank you for that opportunity, Pastor Joe. So we heard two great weeks from Pastor Graham about living as a missionary. And what I want to do is round third base, bring it home, and talk about God in our neighborhood. So did you ever think or wonder why you ended up living where you live? Is it possible that God has you there specifically so that he could use you to show his love? I want you to take a little self-examination about your neighborhood and take a look on the screen. You'll see X marks the spots. That is where you live. So if you're in a residential neighborhood, there's a home to the right and left of you. That second row are the three homes directly across the street from you. If you're in an apartment, the same thing. Apartments on each side, apartments um, across the hall. If you live in a cul-de-sac, I don't know, find the five closest homes to you and we'll go from there. Quick review, see how you can answer these questions. Can you cite the name of everyone who lives in each of those five homes, first and last? Have you had a conversation with them, somebody from each of those homes, that was more than about the weather or politics? Have you spoken with someone from any of those homes where they've told you something significant from their life? And finally, have you had a spiritual conversation with them? Has God been the topic of any conversation? Is there anybody here that could say yes to all those questions for at least one home? All right, we've got a few hands. How about for five homes? Okay, pastor, that's where you go in case I faint and I can't finish this. We've got a, we've got a saint over there. So um, the big idea today is that God has you right where he wants to use you. I want to begin with the story of we live where we're at now for three years, but prior, we were in a neighborhood for three decades. And one of my first encounters with a new neighbor was a knock on the door. This short little older woman shows up holding a plastic bat and a wiffle ball. And she says, I don't have any young children in my home. These were in my yard. I see that you have kids. I really don't like kids playing in my yard or leaving their stuff in my yard. Would you take these? Now, I've been trained to disfuse situations like that, and I love God, so I know how to respond in love. So, of course, I said, well, Dorita, my name's Jimmy, and I do have four daughters, but they're musicians, not athletes, and we don't even own a bat and ball, so you're going to have to knock on another door to find the owner. And I said goodbye and closed the door. So that's how my 30 years started there. Um, but we're going to come back to Dorita later, and you'll see how it ended up. I want to go to what Jesus said about how we should live in our neighborhoods. And we call this the great commandment. And it comes from Matthew 22. And he's being challenged by a Pharisee with what they think is a trick question. And they, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But there is a second and equally important commandment, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then he says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, it's important to know that there were over 600 commandments in the Old Testament dealing with everything, including generosity, which I would have chosen as the second commandment. But he didn't. And then he sums it up. And he says, if you really love God with everything within you and make all your choices that way, and if you really love your neighbor like you love yourself and your family, then you don't have to worry about those 600 commandments because you will be proactive and you will be keeping them all. And that's how he tells us to look at our neighbors. You know, we think if we have a grouchy neighbor, if we avoid them, we're actually being kind and loving to them because we're not arguing with them. But that's not what God's saying at all. He's saying we need to pursue loving our neighbors. So it's important to, to remember, we call this the great commandment for a reason. They're not suggestions. They're exactly what God tells us to do. It's not based on how nice our neighbor may or not be. It's not based on what our work week was like or how we feel. It's really based on the mandate God's given us to love everybody always. And that's hard for us. And I like what Bob Goff had to say. He said, one way that'll help us love our neighbors is to look at them the way God looks at them. And he said a quote that we are all tied for first in God's eyes for his love and affection. And that just, when I think about that, I go, wait a minute. Here we are on Sunday morning, learning and interchanging and sharing about God. Um, we come here every Sunday opportunity that we have. We, we volunteer on the dream team. We're nice to our neighbors. We're good employees. And you're telling me the thief on the cross and the guy who blasphemes your name and doesn't do any of that has the same attention, is tied for first in God's eyes. And that is true, and that's hard for us to comprehend. But God never stops pursuing us, just like he never stopped pursuing the thief on the cross. Now, there's different judgments and consequences and rewards, but in God's eyes, we are all loved equally. And so that's how we're to treat and pursue our neighbors, no matter how nice they may or may not be. Remember our big idea, God, ha God has you right where he wants to use you. Look at Ephesians 2, 7 through 10. It says, now God has us where he wants us. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So there's a mandate that we're given to love our neighbor as ourself and join God wherever he's working. So if your neighborhood isn't exactly heaven on earth yet, that's okay. Here's four of a multitude of ways that I believe we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And the first is find a way to serve. You know, Steve Sojourn, who wrote The Conspiracy of Kindness, and he's basically a 30-year 30, 30 guru on random acts of kindness, the term you heard, he said the easiest entrance into a neighbor's life is a simple deed done with kindness. You know that's true? especially if you're fresh in the neighborhood, if you do something nice for a neighbor, they know it, and it seems like the whole neighborhood knows it. And if you avoid doing something nice, they know it, and the whole neighborhood knows it. Now, we don't do these things to be recognized. We do them because God asks us to be like him, and he is love, and we are to serve others. So that's our motivation. Um, 
Galatians 5 says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Actually, love your neighbor as yourself. So be willing to give up a little of your time and give it to your neighbor. When they're working on a project, join them. Bring them over something to drink. Spend some time with them. Find a way to serve and to help them. The second is, we need to recognize that interruptions are simply invitations to having quality time with someone. You know, we're all busy, and we schedule our day, and we schedule our playtime, and we don't like interruptions. But many of the interruptions that happened in my life actually turned out to be great surprises. And sometimes we avoid people. You know, you see somebody at the supermarket, and you go down the other aisle because you don't want to spend 10 minutes in a conversation. But you know, Jesus was never like that. In fact, many of the miracles that are recorded were actually interruptions in his life. And I want you to think about the first miracle. He's at a wedding. He's with his disciples. He's hanging out. I would have loved to have been there to see what Jesus does at a wedding. Anyways, I digest. He's there. The host runs out of wine. Not a good thing. And his mother comes up to him and says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And he responds saying, it's no interest to me. I mean, I'm, I'm not ready to do my first miracle yet. And she doesn't even, it's like she never even heard what he said. She just walks over to the guys that are working and says, you see that long-haired guy there? That's my son, Jesus. I want you to just go do whatever he tells you to do. And she walks away. And Jesus, like a good Jewish boy, goes over and does what his mother asks, and he turns water into wine. The host is blessed because of the miracle and the interruption that happened in Jesus' life. The guests are blessed. They say, why would you save the best wine for last? In fact, they say, this is the best wine we've ever tasted. So that interruption for Jesus that he invited and used as an opportunity became a blessing for everyone that was around him. And that's how it is in our lives also when our neighbors come and interrupt us. So embrace interruptions because they're one way that the Holy Spirit shows us what's going on in other people's lives. So find a way to serve. Recognize that interruptions are really invitations for quality time with people. And third, practice hospitality. Now, this is a lost art sometimes. It's hard because we have our homes, they're nice, we don't want to be disturbed, we want to kick off our shoes, put our fat pants on and relax. And practicing hospitality takes effort, okay? But Paul in Romans 12.13 says, 12, says, always be eager to practice hospitality. So we have to be willing to use our home. You know, it's good to remember that everything we have is on loan from God. And that at some point in time, he's going to redistribute it to somebody else, and they're probably going to redecorate anyways. And if you're lucky, he doesn't redistribute your home until after you pass away. But sometimes he does before, and he certainly does that with other things we have. So he tells us that I give you everything you need. In fact, I give you more than enough to provide for your own life and to have extra left over to share with others. So use our homes to bless others. It doesn't have to be that difficult. When the mail person or the Amazon Prime driver shows up, meet them at the door, say hello, and offer them a bottle of water. If there's a repairman doing some handiwork at your house, put out some cookies and say, you know, help yourself. Start a conversation. Um, 
What we like to do is just have a barbecue in our neighborhood and say, I'm putting burgers and dogs on, bring something, and show up Saturday night. And the neighbors came, and they brought their kids. You know, there's so many homes where both parents are working outside the home, and maybe you're older and you don't have that situation or a lot of kids at home. Can you remember how tough it was for both parents to come home from work, prepare a meal, do homework, get the kids ready for bed, and then get themselves ready for the next day? So maybe if you can, just one day a month, cook a really nice meal for that family and put it in disposable plates and pans and bring it to their house. It would be like them eating out and they don't even have to clean up after. So there's a lot of ways that we can use our home that we're comfortable with. There's a guy in the New Testament named Gaius, if I'm pronouncing it right. So Gaius is spoken about by Paul in the book of Romans. In the 16th chapter, he's listing like 30-some people that have been beneficial to him in his ministry. And he mentions Gaius as having stayed at Gaius' home, and Gaius actually hosted many people that came and went from Corinth regarding the church. Well, John the Apostle, in the third letter of John actually addresses it to Gaius. And he says the same thing. I've stayed at your home and you have hosted everybody that comes and goes. And God has blessed you and will continue to bless you because of that. It's an interesting fact. When Paul wrote his letter about Gaius, it was around 57 AD. When John wrote his letter to Gaius, it was 90 AD. So for over three decades, this person has been using his home to host people coming in and out of the church of Corinth. I think that just goes to prove that we never retire from our gifts. Whatever they are, we continue to use them no matter when. So find a way to serve. Recognize that interruptions are really invitations for quality time and practice hospitality in whichever way we can. The fourth is lead your neighborhood community from being strangers to being family. And here's what I mean. Look at the people in your neighborhood as if they go to your church and you're their pastor, their influencer. It'll change the way you behave in the neighborhood. And here's what I mean. When you first came here, you were a stranger. You didn't know anybody. You were hoping someone would smile at you and greet you and offer a cup of coffee to you, and they did. You came back a few times, and you made some acquaintances, and maybe you even had lunch or coffee with someone outside the church, and you started to develop some friendships. And then for a lot of you in this room, you left Sunday morning service, and you went to someone else's home, ate someone else's food, fell asleep on someone else's sofa while you talked about the morning service. Come on, can I give it up? Anybody in here remember that? Yeah, you guys did. Thank you, Veracallis. So, all right, you did. You moved from being a stranger the first time you walked in here to developing friendships to being part of the family. And you know what? In your neighborhood, there are people that are strangers, that don't have a lot of friends, that don't have family, and God has placed us there to move them. Maybe we become their family, or maybe we're just the connecting point to put them in touch with someone, but to move them along that spectrum to having friends and to having family. Um, 
One of the ways we do that is be the person who reaches out and cares. When they're sitting on their front porch, don't be afraid to go up and talk to them and and just bring something over to drink. Listen intently and ask questions. We all love to talk about ourselves, but it's really nice when we listen and we ask questions and we don't talk about ourselves. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what's going on in that person's life and how we can be used to help. So we find a way to serve. We recognize interruptions, our invitations. We practice hospitality and we lead our neighborhood from being strangers into community and into family. Romans 12.6 says that there are different gifts that can bring about the same results in people's life. It says, in his race, God has given us different gifts for doing things well. Kind of sounds like the promo for Growth Track. Come and discover your purpose and make a difference in the neighborhood. You know, Gary Chapman wrote a book that I think summarizes the next seven verses after that that talk about all the gifts that are available from God. And he put it in contemporary language, and he said, there are basically five love languages, and each of us has at least one of them. And it's the way we like to be loved, and it's the way we express our love for others. So let's look at these and see which one of them is yours. The first love language is on the screen. Nope. There. What do you see? What do you, I'm sorry. All right, I got a glass half full. Does anybody see anything else? All right. There you go. There. I'm glad. I didn't hear that right. Glass half empty and glass half full. Let me tell you. I see a glass half empty. That's my normal disposition, and God has to work through me to see it another way. But because I naturally see a glass half empty, I wake up in the morning and I'm going, I'm 68 years old. I don't know how much time I have left. My grandkids live in Florida, and I hardly get to see them. And I'm getting lower and lower and lower. But you know what? Who had the glass half full? Meredith? You know what? You come along to me, and you say, Jimmy, you got a lot left to do. Look at everything that's happened. Jimmy, remember Moses? He was 80 when he saw the burning bush. Remember Caleb? He was 85, and he said, I'm as strong as I ever was. Give me my inheritance. I want the hill country. And so you just lift me right back up. Do you know there are people in your neighborhood that look at life half empty? And one of our love languages is having words of encouragement. And if that's you that see the glass half full, you are needed in your neighborhood. So find that neighbor around those five homes from you and use that gift, those words of encouragement to build them up. Another one is quality time. We talked about that, not allowing interruptions to detract us. We talked about acts of service. That's the third one. The fourth one is giving gifts. And you know, We mentioned that God blesses us so that we would have enough for ourselves and more than enough to give to others. So being a good neighbor sometimes costs. It costs our time, and sometimes it costs our money because they have a need, and we're aware of it, and we'll meet it. And maybe they don't have a big need, but we just want to cook a meal for them. It still costs. So giving gifts is the fourth love language, and the fifth one is physical touch. Now, don't get weird on me here. Here's what I'm talking about. When you shake somebody's hand, it's a sign of affection. 
We just had a meet and greet here for 30 or 40 seconds. When you fist bump, when you put your arm around somebody, it's a sign of love and affection. If you're European, you kiss people on the cheek. Okay? It's a sign of love and affection. You know, think about widows. They don't have anybody to touch them at home anymore. So when you're talking to somebody, it's okay, like you're in prayer, to grab their hands and look at them in the eye and just have your conversation while you're holding their hand. Man, that means so much to somebody. So don't be afraid to hug a neighbor, kiss them on a cheek, whatever it takes. But physical touch is a love language. Just do it with the right person. <laughs> so which one of those gifts is your love language? Think about it. How do you like to say thank you? Use that gift towards one of your neighbors this week. Remember my neighbor, Larita, with the bat and the wiffle ball at the beginning of the story here? Here's the rest of the story. But before I tell you about it, here's how God knows what's planned in our life and what's coming ahead of us. Psalms 139 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God knew what was going on, and God knew to move me into that neighborhood, specifically right next to Lorita, even though it started that way. Here's what happened. She had one daughter that lived in Cincinnati. Her and her daughter didn't see each other very often. But God knew that within a year, I was going to get an employment with a company that was based out of Cincinnati, and that they were going to bring me in four or five times a year to Cincinnati to teach new employees. God knew that my oldest daughter, when she graduated college, would choose the University of Cincinnati for her education. God knew that she was going to marry somebody from Cincinnati and end up staying in Cincinnati. So the Santangelos all of a sudden start making multiple trips a year to Cincinnati, where Lorita's daughter lived that she hardly ever saw. And so we invited Lorita, and most trips, Lorita came with us, and we would drop her off at her daughter's and pick her up on our way home. And I have to tell you, I found out later that she kept a journal. That meant so much to her because she was a stranger in our neighborhood. She kept a journal that recorded the time we left, the time we arrived, what the weather was like, where we stopped to eat, who else was in the car, and a myriad of other things. That's how valuable it was to her. And you know what developed from that? Larita started having holiday dinners with us and coming over for birthday parties and just hanging out. And when we had a neighborhood Bible study, she joined in. And I found out she used to play the organ in church, and we started praying and talking about God again. Larita went from that terrible situation that we started. Well, Larita passed, <laughs> and her daughter asked me if I would officiate the funeral. That's how drastic the difference was from the first night we met. And so Lorita went from being a stranger to a friend to actually part of our family. And there are people like that in your neighborhood that could use the same. So let me finish my neighborhood story here. And if you look in my neighborhood, this is what happened over the, the next three decades. There's a lot of homes there that are in ours, five or six homes around there. 
And we had a lot of interactions over that time. Some families came and went, but there were a lot that were there for the whole 30 years that we were. They became our friends, and a couple of them became our family. Over that 30 years, three of those homes lost husbands. And that meant that when I plowed my driveway, I plowed four driveways. Over those 30 years, there were homes where people lost jobs. And we walked through it together, we prayed, and we talked about what to do. There were financial needs. There were parents in those homes that had difficult relationships with their children. And we worked through and prayed through those. There was a gentleman in one of those homes that was waiting and praying for a liver transplant. And we walked through that together. The deaths of the husbands I mentioned. We had a loss of a child in the neighborhood. We had the arrest of one of those parents of a very embarrassing crime. And we simply do what you do and talked about what do you do as you grow older. There's also a home in that picture where I didn't do a very good job of loving my neighbor. And even though I apologized and tried to repair the situation, for those 30 years, it never became what God intended it to be in the first. So those three decades we spent are past. I can never go back now, I, even though I have more time and more money, and change that situation. That's why it's so important to live in the moment and the tension whenever God presents it. I'd like to invite Devin up right now. Devin's going to share part of his story with us. Can we give it up for Devin? De Devin's in one. Come on over here, Devin. Devin's in one of our connect groups, and uh, so I know a little bit about him. And I said, I need you to share so they don't just hear an old guy talking about this. And he's like, Really? But anyways, <laughs> so. Um, it's nervous being up here, isn't it? Yeah. But we're good. Just look at me. Forget them. They're just listening. Right? So, Devin, you've lived in your neighborhood for about seven years. Yeah. Um, what were you like the first five years? What kind of neighbor were you? So, yeah, for about the first five years, right when we moved in, we were very um, closed neighbors. Um, you know, I was quite content with walking to the mailbox, waving, and that was as much as I knew of my neighbors. Uh, Backyard dwellers, you know, go to the backyard, hang out back there. Don't have to worry about any awkward uh, encounters or conversations. So you hid from the neighbors? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, all right. I smiled when I waved. <laughs> did you know their names? How did you do on the test of no, the five I neighbors? failed the test. Uh, all right. Well, what caused the change in you the last couple years in your outlook? So there were... Um, Two different things started to happen. One was internal. Um, the Holy Spirit really started to, uh, to work on me. I started to feel guilty, waving, uh, guilty, kind of trying to avoid eye contact as I wasn't having a conversation. I tried to push it off. And then uh, I got invited to a small group with you and Pastor Graham. And of course, the topic happened to be uh, the impact in your neighborhood, so, mm -hmm. coincidentally. Coincidentally. God <laughs> yeah. does that, doesn't he? <laughs> so I got it from both sides. Yeah. All right. Well, there was an event that happened that changed how you were as a neighbor the last two years. Tell me yeah. about it. So I was being challenged. You guys were starting to bring up practical um, applications on how can you reach your neighbors. And I was really feeling challenged and wanted to rise to it. So 
I started praying for opportunities, like, you know, open a door. I'm like, I'm not going to go for like the awkward knock on your door, but I need something to kind of, to break ground into this. And the pandemic happened. Our kids were inside, you know, they were kind of being cooped up and, you know, God used my kids as a way to, to open that up. They were wanting to play outside. We saw like one neighbor out and after being challenged to kind of move from the backyard, we said, hey, let's go to the front yard. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's take it small. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so we pulled out all the bikes and the power wheels and, you know, the kids' toys, and we started just setting up stuff in the front yard and deciding, like, we're going to do it this way and, and see what happens. So your mode of evangelism is moving 50 feet from the back to the front. <laughs> yeah. Just I just want to make sure I understand. Okay, yep, yep. so you moved to the front yard. All yeah, right. so, you know, a neighbor kid sees it, and they're, feeling the same as our kids were cooped up inside. So they come over and, hey, can we, you know, ride in this Power Wheels or ride on this bike? And we're like, yeah, sure, like, you know, jump on. So, you know, fast forward like an hour and the kids are riding around this circle and all of a sudden, like every kid, kids that I didn't even know existed are coming out of houses. <laughs> and like by the end of the night, there's probably 12 to 15 kids like riding around bikes, running between yards and uh, just- Panic attack? Yeah, a little yeah. one. <laughs> So that, that was the beginning of, uh, you know, us feeling now comfortable, you know, approaching neighbors, talking to them. It, it didn't feel so awkward anymore. Okay. And before you go on, I want to go back to Psalm 139, where we say God has everything planned out for us, and he knows our future and what we need, and he situates us in the right neighborhoods for us. So this started to develop. Then what happened to you and what happened in the neighborhood? So, yeah, for, I mean, we had about six months of just, you know, starting to get to know people, building. I'm thinking that I'm doing great, that I was challenged. I'm starting to rise to this challenge. Like, this is what, this is what it was all about. And then, you know, I got to see something come out of that. I, I got sick with COVID. Um, you actually got hospitalized, right? I did get hospitalized. So I got really sick with COVID at first, and we were down, couldn't even get groceries. And all of a sudden, you know, one of the neighbors rises to the occasion, hey, we're going to go get your groceries. We're going to get breakfast for your kids. Like, we're going to start checking in on you. And then I find out I have to get hospitalized. And I, I go into the hospital. And again, this neighbor is right there. Like, hey, I'll, you know, I'm, I'll watch your one-year-old. I'll get your kids off the bus. Like, you know, check in on your family while you're in the hospital. These are the same people that you hid from in the backyard. <laughs> yes, okay. All right. Interesting yep. how God knew when to pull you to the front yard when you were going to get sick, but go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, was, that was my thought too. Like six months ago, you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. I had no idea. Yeah. And so it continues. And what is the end result of that relationship other than they took care of you and your family? Yeah. What? So, you know, we were really feeling like now all of a sudden we felt a closeness or a connection. Um, although we had mentioned church before, we had never really had any deep discussions but now after this, I'm like, okay, we can, why don't we invite him to church? So we're watching online and we make, you know, the comment, hey, like, you know, church is opening back up. Why don't you guys, would you like to join us? And so they say, hey, we've been seeing your shares on Facebook. Like we've been watching for the last month. Like, yeah, of course we'd love to join you. Ah, so, so they came. So then they, they came to church, their kids did, and even their parents uh, started coming. So. Wow. And are they still here? Yes. So what would you say to anybody who says, I'm not like Jimmy and all the things I said I did. I'm more like 
Devin, what would you say to them? I, I feel that. So uh, <laughs> I, I feel the anxiety. Uh, I know it's it's hard, but I'd say that man, it's uh, it's worth going there. Um, and you don't have to go crazy about it, but man, you have the opportunity to be a blessing to people around you, and you don't know what it's going to turn into. Amen. Can we give it up for Devin? I'll, Thank I you. got. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. We never know what God has in store, but we know he has us right where he can use us. You know, where we live is not simply a place to kick off our shoes, relax, and call home. These are neighborhoods where God has placed us and asked us to love those around us, and we call that gospel intentionality. So be intentional about where you live. Picture the face of somebody that maybe popped in your mind while we were talking here today. Picture that face and look for opportunities to serve them, to engage with them, to give them a word of encouragement, to express what it means to love your neighbor as yourself because God has you right where he wants to use you. Let's pray. If you'll bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in to speak to our hearts to show us individuals that we could reach and pull into our family and that we've avoided in the past. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you help us to understand what your desire is of us today, and that is to become love, just as you are love. But if we want to love our neighbors first, love them, or if we want to love our neighbors as ourselves, it begins with loving you first, God, with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. So I would ask you that if you can't remember a time when you asked Jesus into your heart, today is your day. If you can't remember when you said, I'm all in, heart, mind, and soul, today is your day. Simply pray with us and mean it from your heart. And if everyone will help me and repeat after me, Lord God, I realize that I am a sinner and need you. Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died and rose again for me. And today I make a decision to follow you. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.